2: now spreading freedom across the nation this
1: is the
0: buck sexton show
1: team buck welcome to the freedom hut thank you so much for joining great to have you as always uh really appreciate you uh, spending some time with me today so some news over the weekend that we'll have to spend some time getting through in this hour biggest thing to drop Uh, Drop it like it's hot. Biggest thing, uh, the report from the intelligence community that was briefed to Donald Trump on Friday. Background to assessing Russian activities and intentions in recent U.S. elections, the analytic process, and cyber incident attribution. Woo, man, man, I miss that. Good times. Good times in the IC with their... Background to assessing Russian activities and intentions in recent U.S. elections, the analytic process, and cyber incident attribution. That's the kind of crazy party I used to rock myself back in the day. Uh, We would just sit there and analyze and analyze and argue and analyze some more, and it was was some good times. So they released this report. Uh, We can post it up on Facebook, so you can check it out yourself, but... This is more or less what we thought it would be. I don't think there's a lot of new stuff in here. I don't think there's anything that will really surprise too many folks. You have the, the intelligence community represented here by the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA all agreeing with the key judgments that are the following. I can actually read you the key judgments. I won't even paraphrase. I'll do one better. I'll get right into it. Russian efforts to influence the 2016 U.S. presidential election represent the most serious uh, or most recent expression of Moscow's long longstanding desire to undermine the U.S.-led liberal democratic order. But these activities demonstrated a significant es- escalation in directness, level of activity and scope of effort compared to previous operations. We assess Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the U.S. presidential election. Russia's goals were to undermine public faith in the U.S. democratic process, denigrate Secretary Clinton, and harm her electability and potential presidency. We further assess Putin and the Russian government developed a clear preference for President-elect Trump. We have high confidence in these judgments. So you've got, cia nsa fbi coming out now now this is official right i should point out this is very different than the leaks and the rumor mill stuff that we were handling before this is the official report this because this is the unclassified key judgments key judgments section uh, and looking into this a bit what you see is that they've not added in any of these sources and methods. So we don't know how they know this stuff, although we can take some educated guesses. But we know that now they're saying it. This isn't a leak to the Washington Post. This isn't a newspaper quoting unnamed sources that may or may not reflect a consensus view inside the broader IC. This is a real deal. This is something that they have now released and is out there. And we will have to uh, deal with and we're doing that right now. So you got the IC saying that Trump or that Russia didn't intervene, uh, intervene, intervene, interfere, intervene is actually maybe we've just created a word team. Don't don't intervene in my affairs. Uh, The intervention that the Russians had here was specifically intended to help Donald Trump. That's what they're saying. Although, and this will receive much less attention as we go here, it is also pointed out in the report that the initial hacking occurred in uh, July of 2015 when nobody really thought that Donald Trump was a serious factor in this. So, this wasn't some big operation from start to finish to get Trump elected. That is not true. It seems that if you want to take the intelligence community's reporting as true and I will tell you that I do think that this is what they honestly believe and it is based on real information. I don't think there's a massive conspiracy inside the IC. There are people who are trying to undermine Trump. That's where the leaks came from, but I don't buy that there's a massive conspiracy and that there are people inside the FBI right now who are sort of wandering the hallways, muttering to themselves about how this was all a fix and this is all a lie. I, I don't buy that. Again, I don't know because I'm not inside anymore. And if I did know, I wouldn't be able to talk to you about it because that's the way the rules work. But here we are. Uh, so this Russian cyber attack started in July of 2015, and they kept it going for quite a while. They had a lot of access into the DNC computers, Should be noted that the election that really was thrown by insiders and dirty tricks was the primary between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. I think I think you could make a much stronger case that there was foul play at work there than there was in the Trump versus Hillary face off, because I I don't I'm not somebody who takes it in any way as as uh, well, it's not provable, but I also find it not really feasible that the Russian hacks were able to just sort of undermine everything else that was going on. Uh, I I don't believe that Russia was able to get access into these systems. And once Russia had access, it was able to from there uh, turn around the election result. Now, of course, Democrats will argue that still they're blue in the face. These are really two separate arguments. But of course, people want to have them at the same time. There's did Russia engage in a continuous cyber campaign to discredit our electoral process, to make us look like hypocrites, to meddle in our affairs because we have meddled. We have meddled in their affairs, by the way. If you start looking into NGOs and the work that's done abroad and democracy, whether you think it's good or not, it is, it is meddling. Uh, but they wanted to meddle back in our affairs or meddle in our affairs, and they did that. And they seem to have had a real preference for Trump. And that now is putting an interesting spin on things for the administration because they're supposed to retaliate or come up with some means of stopping this in the future. Which, by the way, I think that's where all this really quickly falls apart. What are we going to do in the future? What are we really going to do? Uh, We're going to cut off Internet access from certain countries We're going to try to firewall the U.S. internet the way China does and prevent foreign actors from. Even if we tried that, they'd find ways around it. It's just not possible. I've been very troubled to hear how many people think it's a profound statement to put out there. Oh, we need to we need to work on our cyber defenses. Okay, how? What does that mean? We're constantly working on cyber defenses and those institutions. And those agencies that are tasked with the defense of U.S. cyber infrastructure, uh, they now have cyber command in the military. I mean, this is they're taking this stuff quite seriously. But if we're talking about unclassified networks that are hacked via a phishing scam, that's been going on for as long as there's been an Internet. That's not really going to change. This is like saying, oh, well, we just we just need to get rid of. Credit card fraud. Yeah, you can fight it and you can try to do some things. But until we have, I guess, biometrics and stuff, maybe there is a future where the technology will get rid of it entirely. But in the meantime, yeah, you deal with it and you try to eliminate it to the degree you can and punish it to the degree you can. But let's understand that if we're trying to prevent what happened in this election, you're talking about perfect cybersecurity. It's never going to be there. It's just not it's, again, not possible. But I digress. There's a discussion about cybersecurity and there's the discussion about the. Election, I, I do say that it's a little bit uh, mm, disconcerting to watch some members of the Trump team both uh, sort of want to have it both ways. Uh, there's some members of the Trump team that seem to both want to discredit the intelligence community, then say that yeah, well, I guess they believe it, and then say that well, it didn't affect the election. Just say that, which I now believe they are going to, and and Trump has somewhat, uh, given in on this. Sure. Russia did something, uh, didn't change the election. We'll make sure that we keep an eye on this in the future. I I think it plays into the other side, uh, to the anti-Trump. And remember there, there is a whole wing now of the Democrat party that doesn't even, it's not that they just want to block Trump's actions and such. They view him as illegitimate and they would love to find any pretense, any excuse to remove him from office at the first possible opportunity. There's a tremendous amount. Isn't it fascinating to watch the media when they really want to do due diligence on someone? When the New York Times wants to dig into the details, they're actually really good at it. Didn't do it. Didn't do it with Barack Obama and didn't do it for Hillary Clinton, of course. Uh, I read a profile of Jared Kushner that the New York, I think it was the Times or the Post, can't remember. They blend together in my head. Over the weekend and they're talking about sit-down meetings he had with Chinese businessmen and first person uh, you know, first-person accounts of what was said and wow, they're really going out. And they've got maps with all of his real estate holdings. I learned more about Jared Kushner in 15 minutes or so of reading this piece in the uh, let's say it's The Times than I saw from the Times in the entirety of the election between Hillary and Trump. So they can do a lot of digging. They do have that skill set. I have to give them that credit, I suppose. They do have that capability. They are able to um, go deep and do a real thorough vetting of somebody, but they, of course, are very political in when and how they do this. But they're creating right now, I think, a dossier that will be used later on to try and they want to impeach this president. That's what they want to do. Before he's done it, before he's even president, they're looking to find ways to justify that. And while I don't see a lot of people calling for a redo of the election, which is mostly because I think there's just no mechanism for it, right? There's nothing that we could say, oh, well, Article Article 2, Section, you know, or Clause 3, or Article 2, Section 7, whatever. There's nothing in place to allow for a redo of the election. So what do they do? They create a narrative, a narrative that they will strengthen over time and that they believe will enhance the position of those who never plan on treating this president like an actual president. The plan is going to be that from day one, they will undermine. From day one, they will be building a case to get rid of him. Um, So the IC's report that's come out now, I don't I don't view it as having any bombshell revelations. There's some interesting stuff in the appendix about russia today although it's out of date their russia today information that was released is years old and so therefore there's some inaccuracies in it intelligence community has all of these people working on stuff and they still get stuff wrong that you can tell is wrong if you look up wikipedia for a second that's not surprising to me there's way too many cooks in the intelligence community kitchen i'm, I'm seeing by the way the trump administration planning to shrink down the NSC from four or five hundred people, something like that, to one hundred and fifty National Security Council. It's probably a very good idea. There are so many government employees that have overlapping responsibilities, especially in the analytics side, that it just turns into uh, a, a cacophony of competing analyses. There's way too much stuff going on. And ultimately, you've only got a few decision makers and they are inundated with all this stuff all the time. And whether it's the NSA or the Department, uh, National Security Advisor, I mean, or the SecDef or the president himself, only so many different versions of the same analysis they're going to read. And ultimately, they're going to make a decision. Well, I don't know how Trump's going to make his decisions, but they'll make a decision based upon whichever they find the most compelling uh, tied into the politics as well at the moment. I'll talk a bit more about Russia today. we got a lot more to go into here, team. 888-900-3393 on the phone lines. Team Buck, I will be right back.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show.
2: The Blaze Radio Network.
0: The Buck Sexton
2: Show. 888 900
1: 3393. Team, phone lines are open. Would love to chat with you. Let's do it. Uh, light up those lines. It's been a couple of days. Um, I had a weekend of pretty much hibernation Uh, it was very very cold and snowy here in New York City as I know it was in other places across the country but I'm excited to talk to all of you so let's get into it Uh, also on Friday I mentioned it at the time I did not get into too much detail because we didn't have much in the way of of details Um, but there that shooting at Fort Lauderdale airport involved a veteran uh, named Esteban Santiago, he killed. He could face the death penalty now. He killed five people at the uh, Florida airport on Friday. Shot a, a bunch more than that, and he had told. This is one of these things where you you read the facts. You go another one of these, another one of these lunatics. He had he had told the FBI that he was hearing voices. He went to an FBI office in Anchorage and said that he thought that U.S. spies were controlling his mind. So you may have a pretty good uh, insanity defense for this guy here. I I don't know. I know that's a very high hurdle. The uh, insanity defense is a a particularly uh, difficult one to pull off in a court. But this guy does seem like he was uh, nuts and six other people had gunshot wounds from the attack, and three dozen suffered injuries from the chaos as passengers and people working at the airport were running all over the place. There's video of this as well. Santiago uh, arrived from a connecting flight from Alaska. He pulled a 9 millimeter handgun from his checked luggage. I think it was the only thing that he had checked. And he went and loaded it in the bathroom, and he came out, and in a very... Almost chilling, really a chillingly nonchalant manner, uh, just started shooting people. Just started shooting people. Uh, and the FBI agents were told that he thought that his mind, this is back in November, that his mind was being controlled by a U.S. intelligence agency. They took his gun, uh, but oh, well, you have a because a medical evaluation found that he was not mentally ill. Huh that is that is troubling if somebody who walks into an FBI office and says that spies are controlling my brain is not mentally ill it seems to me very unlikely that you're going to get a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of use out of the process that's in place to take away firearms from people who are criminally insane or a danger to themselves uh, or others Seems to me that if you can't get this guy's gun out of his hands, and I know this becomes very sensitive, right? Because then you also have the left that'll want to take guns out of the hands of anybody who's ever suffered from PTSD and anybody who's ever been depressed, you know, which anybody who's ever been in a bad relationship and been sad afterwards and, you know, sought counseling for it, I mean, they're going to try to take guns away from everybody just because they want to take guns away. But if you walk into the FBI's office in Anchorage, you say that you think that the you know, the CIA or something is controlling your brain. And I think he also told them from earlier reports I read that he wanted to join ISIS. Uh, you would think that this is if we can't stop this guy who, who's a crazy wannabe jihadist, who can we stop? Uh, only people that make tactical mistakes in the actual terror attack you know, somebody who. You know, they're gun jams, or they do something dumb in the moments leading up to it, or we we have to catch them in the actual preparation for the act. This is becoming far too commonplace. Uh, we see this happening time and again, where whether it's in Europe or here in America, those who are already on the radar of intelligence services or law enforcement, in this case with the FBI, nothing happens, and their hands are tied. And I'm not saying there's an easy solution because some people are going to just yell about how this is, I mean, this is clearly bad, right? We can all understand that. But I don't know what the answer is because if you give more sweeping authority to take guns away from people for mental health issues, be prepared for that to be abused by the left. But then again, with this guy, you can't get a gun out of this guy's hand. Who can you take guns from? It says he wants to join ISIS and that the CIA is controlling his brain and guys, clear. But then he he managed to beat a mental health evaluation or come off as though he wasn't crazy. So I'd be very curious to see what those notes were. Uh, Anyway, team 888-900-3393. We're going to have spy time come up here in a few minutes. Join me.
0: The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show
1: 888-90-3393. Phone lines are uh, are open. Let me know when we get our friend John. Will you, Shimon, just uh, tell me in my ear here, and we can get it going from there? Uh, oh, we got him. Nope, we don't got him. All right. Well, if we got him, let me know, and we'll get into some spy time here. Uh, another an, another bit of terrible national security news from over the weekend. Uh, a number four Israeli soldier I believe there were four soldiers were killed in a vehicle ac- a vehicle attack um, over the week a terrorist attack it is pretty fascinating to see the way the media covers any terrorism or stuff involving uh, Israel and Palestinians versus the way other terrorist attacks are covered it's pretty mind, mind-numbing mind stuff I mean not mind-numbing that's not the right word enraging is a better word there we go uh, you see that they, they'll say vehicle slams into, there's no actor in many of the, meaning, I don't mean actor like Meryl Streep, we'll talk about her, her later, but there's no person who is in fact the one responsible for the act in many of these instances. There's just uh, a vehicle that runs over and murders four soldiers. There's video of that too. This is one of the things that makes terrorism, unfortunately, in some ways even more potent in the current context, is that there's so many ways for the bad guys to disseminate propaganda using the acts themselves, but also you will see more of it, too, from security camera footage and from the various news services that will pick them up. So everyone will get a chance, for example, to see the Fort Lauderdale uh, terrorist, And this debate, by the way, that happens, interesting the way that these always now turn into a back and forth. You'd think that somebody shoots a bunch of innocent people, and I believe specifically targeted the elderly, in in an airport. There should just be constructive discussion over how quickly we march this guy off into prison for the rest of his life, or they may actually give him the death penalty. And what can we do to stop this in the future? Of course, in the social media obsessed world we're in, everyone wants to sort of turn this into a version of either the gun control argument or the mental health versus terrorism argument. It's possible to be a jihadist and a terrorist at this, I mean a jihadist and unstable or crazy at the same time. Crazy is a spectrum. People deal with all kinds of mental issues over the course of their life and mental health, mental health is a, is a true health issue and, by no means by am i trying to make uh, light of the struggles that anybody would have on that front by saying it's a spectrum but it, it is a spectrum there's a sort of a long continuum of degrees of detachment from reality somebody can have a struggle certain mental health struggles but be fully functioning and very uh, you know contribute contribute fully to society and be good parents and be good you know husband wife what and you go further down the continuum, and it becomes more difficult. So there's not. That's why I think people want to force it into these very neat categorizations of, well, the Florida shooter. I believe his name is right. Santiago. Is, Santiago is uh, crazy, and therefore can't be a terrorist. Well, no. You you can be a bit. And I know crazy is an imprecise term, but you can be a bit crazy and still very much be a terrorist. I would think that. We could agree, in the case of ISIS, for example, a majority of the um, individuals who would be, who would join a group that posts videos of beheadings and mutilations and torture and and is proud of them and and brags about them, that a lot of the people that go and join that group are, are on in some way or another mentally uh, have have issues. That's the the broadest way I guess of putting it. And perhaps far too gentle a way, but they are sadists, and in many cases, they are psychotic. Uh, but there's not, it's not an either or situation necessarily, but for political reasons, because people want to make it about mental health and not about jihad or belonging to the Islamic State or doing it in the name of the Islamic State. They'll talk about that, or they'll make it about mental health and guns so that becomes politicized and of course the is the attack in israel also gets politicized very quickly four soldiers uh, run over and i think they're still trying to i don't know if they've caught yet the um uh, the driver of the truck of it has immediate it brings to mind oh netanyahu now saying that the suspect may have supported isis so uh, two soldiers and a tour guide who is a colonel in the reserve shot and killed the attack. OK, so they definitely got him, killed the attack suspect whom they identified as 28 year old Fadi uh, Kunbar. Police have also arrested nine other suspects, including five of Kunbar's family members. See, in the context of uh, Palis- uh, the Palestinians and the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, unfortunately and tragically, and it says a lot about what's going on over there, terror is often a family business. They will tell you this when you go and say people who have done interviews, for example, with the mothers of suicide bombers, and they are so proud of their suicide bomber son, who is dead now because they blew up a bunch of people in a disco or in a market or wherever at a checkpoint, proud of them, think that this was great. They're martyrs. A culture that celebrates the death of... Uh, that 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 convinces parents to celebrate the deaths of their children in the act of murdering other people's children, innocent children, has something deeply wrong with it. And this is why, even though there are obviously imperfections with the Israeli state, uh, they don't do everything right. The settlements are are a problem for some people, and different depending on which settlement we're talking about—an outpost or East Jerusalem—but there are complications right this is a complex issue but you don't have the israeli government handing out candy to children after there's an airstrike where innocents are killed for example in gaza you do have that in with hamas and in the, in gaza you do have that you have children getting candy because people were killed in israel um, killing they killed four and injured 10 with this truck driver I and mean, these truck attacks now are going to be oh and hamas has openly praised the driver. Quote, we bless the courageous and heroic truck operation in Jerusalem. And they, one of the things that's so enraging, I think, for many people that follow Israeli Palestinian issues, is that in the UN resolution that passed recently, they talk about the condemnation of terror. There's no Hamas isn't condemned terror. Hamas loves terror. It's a terrorist organization. So the Israelis are supposed to negotiate with them? I mean, at what point, do we start to say, well, I guess we have to negotiate with ISIS, too? Why should the Israelis have to negotiate with Hamas? This is what the international community thinks. Um, but this, this attack won't get as much attention, and the way that it's discussed and described, I even saw uh, it will be different than the way other truck attacks, uh, truck terror attacks um, have been written about and talked about in the media. I saw uh, Glenn Greenwald, my old buddy from MSNBC way back in the day, uh, saying that this you you can't do the campaigns to boycott israel you can't do these attacks against israeli soldiers you know, what can you do there's no such thing as terrorism when it comes to resisting occupation these people don't seem to understand it doesn't matter what the international community says or doesn't say about these things the realities on the ground are different than what much of the world seems to think they are and until you have someone on the other side of the table who's going to stop trying to kill you, you don't really care who owned the land before. I think you can you can take this very complicated issue and make it much more straightforward. Um, but the, the press, there are so many who view... I mean, the Palestinians are a favored subject in the media because of their very heightened victim status in the minds of the Muslim world. So Muslims are to the left media in this country, inherently victims, and the greatest victims from within the victimized Muslim world are the Palestinians, so it's just it's just always time. We talk about the Palestinians for people who have never even been there and know nothing about the situation and don't even remember what the second intifada when you had members of or, you know, terrorists from Hamas and other groups walking into crowded places with suicide vests on and killing as many people as possible and then saying, well, you know, we we need to negotiate over land now. Sorry, doesn't work that way. But yeah, a number of national security incidents of note over the weekend, uh, tragic ones. And once again, I'm just struck by that the one commonality with many of these incidents is an adherence to one ideology and one faith tradition. I'm just saying. I will be right back.
2: Rex Sexton,
1: the Blaze Radio Network.
0: you're listening to the buck sexton show
1: all right we got john schindler with us it's spy time go
0: agent you are joining a clandestine meeting in progress you will now be read into sensitive programs in real time do not communicate this information with any other assets in the field this is spy time
1: John Schindler, national security writer for the, New York, for the Observer, Observer.com, for his latest AT-20 committee on Twitter. John, we're going to have to do kind of Schindler hot takes for uh, the spy time Talking here on fast, a few different better. issues. First, first the, I, the IC report. It's blazing hot. What do you got?
2: Yeah, um, look, I, I wasn't really happy with it in the sense that I felt like the intelligence community, given the extraordinary importance of this issue, uh, should have probably gone a little further with revealing a bit about sources and methods, um, I certainly agree with their conclusions that the Russian intelligence services meddled with our election, stole emails, sent them to WikiLeaks to distribute to the world. Um, I've been saying that a long time. It's nice to see our uh, former colleagues in the intelligence community violently agreeing with me. Um, and I certainly understand the need to protect sources and methods at all times. However, um, I think the public was owed a little bit more detail about how the IC came to these, frankly, very strong conclusions. They're sticking to their guns at the highest levels. They absolutely believe this. Why is that? So in that sense, I think it was a bit of a disappointment, uh, although there is going to be more testimony from Mr. Clapper, the director of national intelligence for another couple of weeks yet uh, to Congress this week. So maybe that will shed some light. I don't know.
1: Um, and as for those who are saying that they believe Julian Assange or that this that Russia didn't get involved or whatever, is that is that now where do you put that on the scale of like believability?
2: Well, I mean, you're allowed to believe in unicorns if you want. It's a free country. That's fine. We're just all going to make fun of you and not take you seriously. Uh, Look, Julian Assange is is a cutout for the Russians. He has been for years. I've been saying this for years. The U.S. government now officially agrees with me, so you know I, that, that feels nice, uh, but it's pretty obvious. I mean the, the, it's not like Assange is really hiding this affiliation. He's denying it in interviews, of course. Oh, even there, his, his language is really – as we discussed last time, or his language is really edging, and he leaves open the possibility that he says it's not the Russian state. Well, of course not. They're using intermediaries to, to deal with him. So I, I think anyone who takes Assange seriously at this point is not a serious person, and unfortunately – uh, that may include the president-to-be president president of the United States. It's not clear. Team Trump has been dancing around this issue on all sides ever since the report hit the street, uh, you know, close of business Friday, in effect. So what Trump just made a comment to NBC a few minutes ago that they're going to have more to say about Russian hacking on Wednesday. He was asked point blank, do you trust uh, – who do you trust more, Assange, Julian Assange or the National Security Agency, and he wouldn't answer the question, which doesn't bode well, I, I think.
1: I, I would tend to agree that does not bode well for what he's going to say. Uh, but one more for you, here, John. The Fort Lauderdale shooting, this guy, he went to the FBI, said he's hearing voices. They took his gun, gave it back to him. What's your takeaway from all this?
2: Look, this looks awful. It absolutely looks awful. Even if the FBI was following procedure, there's no way to make this look nice. This was a a... A guy with a history of some domestic violence. He had been investigated uh, for child pornography a few years ago, though not charged. Let's make that clear. Um, he had been more or less dishonorably discharged from the National Guard. There were a lot of red flags, and he shows up at the FBI field office, and he's obviously a crazy person. Look, this is this is the problem where you know people, crazy people have rights too, and that's not a good answer when five people are dead and a whole bunch more are injured. None of this should have happened. I wish more had been done. But look, the reality is you know, the United States back in the 1960s and 70s decided that, men- that the mentally ill belong on the streets, not in institutions. Uh, and this guy clearly was pretty far gone. But you know, the- he
1: beat a mental health free- test, though, John. What does that I say? Know, I mean, if this I know. Guy-
2: what, what does that tell you? What were they asking him? I'd love to know. I mean, this is a guy who was, you know, hearing voices. You know, the CIA wants me to join ISIS in this kind of crazy stuff. And these people exist, but when they own guns and they're clearly going off the rails, I wish there were more we could do. The FBI looks bad here. They're obviously going to investigate what really happened here and what, where exactly the system broke down. But, you know, in my time in the intelligence community, sometimes you deal with crazy people, and it's hard to know who's going to be violent and who's not going to be violent, unfortunately.
1: There's not really a counterterrorism takeaway with this, is there? I mean, this is – I'd no, like to be honest with the people about really. that.
2: really. I mean, if he, he may belong to ISIS in his own crazed mind. Who knows? And I would bet my bottom dollar there's nothing to really do with ISIS here. And in an era where ISIS is the brand to attract the violent, crazy people, there are people who will identify themselves in a sort of a, a virtual sense that really have no connection to them. This is just a crazy person of a kind who does – you know, spree killings, unfortunately. I sure wish you hadn't had that gun. Uh, I can't fault the police at Fort Lauderdale Airport. They were on scene in about a minute, which was a minute too late to save lives, although they undoubtedly saved a lot more. So, uh, you know, it's easy to beat up on the FBI here, and they deserve that a little bit. But what are we saying here? Do we want to lock up everyone who, who seems crazy? Is that really where we want to go as a country? I don't know. Maybe it is. We used to do that, and we decided that was inhumane. What do you do now? I don't know. It's not. This is not a big counterterrorism case as far as I'm concerned. This is a very, very sad, violent incident that maybe could have been prevented and wasn't.
1: John, what's your latest either on Observer.com or coming up soon?
2: I'm going to have some stuff on Trump and the Russians. I think it's pretty clear that the IC report from released last Friday left some big gaps, including – the question why does donald trump at every opportunity sort of act like putin's lawyer and go to bat for him in a way that's not normal it should strike most americans i think as kind of odd given that putin isn't exactly our our friend this isn't a country this isn't britain canada israel you know japan a close u.s. ally this is russia yeah. which has several All right. weapons pointed at us
1: john let's, we'll have you back again soon thank you sir observer.com for john's latest team we'll be right back
0: you're listening to buck sexton on the blaze radio network
2: freedom across the nation this is Three, two, one.
0: the buck sexton show
1: team buck welcome back to the freedom hut great to have you here as always uh, 888-900-3393 on the lines i did not watch the golden globes last night uh, i was busy preparing for the week and preparing for the show there was and i also don't have cable so that means no Golden Globes for me. Uh, but I did see, because it was all, uh, all over the, uh, the social media platforms this morning, all over the Twitter and the Facebook, that Meryl Streep decided that when she got what is effectively a Lifetime Achievement Award, that she would go after Donald Trump. Um, and turned it into an opportunity to make this all about how terrified we should be as a country and how evil Donald Trump is. Let me I don't want to play audio from it because if we, particularly these award shows, which the whole notion, by the way, that there needs to be a, a big ceremony for actors to sit around and talk about how wonderful they are to each other is, is kind of laughable, but... People watch it and people like famous, you know, the the cult of of the famous in this country, the cult of personality that actors have is more powerful now than it's ever been in the past. And I think social media only amplifies that. And we all see this lifestyles and the the way that these people conduct themselves. And many view it as aspirational. I can understand why. It'd be nice to pretend to be somebody else a little bit for a few weeks and make millions of dollars and then just get to hang out with my pet therapist and go to yoga class in Santa Monica and not have to worry about stuff like normal people do so in that sense I understand the aspirational aspect of it Uh, but the stuff that she said and this is just reflective of the broader mindset when it comes to Trump among those who make no effort to understand I mean just I want to step back for a second. It is true that Trump is a trust fund baby. That is true. It's true that he has the the taste of a, I don't know, of, of, of a Byzantine monarch or something. I mean, you know, he loves the gilded, the gold, the, the over-the-top. His taste is not my taste, I will say that much. But there's this inability to even, or unwillingness is a better word, more accurate, an unwillingness to even try to wrestle with why exactly is it that people who are let's just say digging ditches for a living to I don't want to single out any one profession but people who are digging ditches see this guy who lives literally surrounded by gold and uh, you know gilded everything that he speaks for them and that they and he speaks to them why is that? They they won't even begin. And they don't seem to understand that that's what appeals. It's No one is fooled. No one thinks that Donald Trump, Joe Biden tries to fool people into thinking that he's the everyday, you know, average Joe, everyday average Joe. The guy lives a very cushy existence and is, is anything but the everyday average Joe. He is famous. He is wealthy. And he engages in the, the kind of theater of, oh, well, you know, I need to. Ride on Amtrak. Well, they clear out a car for him every time he does ride on Amtrak, as I'm sure you probably have read and know. So he's, you know, he's traveling like a, an average Joe. If an average Joe has a huge Secret Service detail and they clear out a car for him, and I, I think they used to do that even for him when he was a senator. But they definitely did it for him if he's Vice President. Uh, so that's theater. That's pretending to be something he's not. Jo- Joe Biden is not a guy who knows what it is. To roll up his sleeves, pay bills, worry about the mortgage, and all the right, but but and his whole thing is that he's average Joe, which is just complete nonsense. The opposite of the truth. Trump is is an average Joe, but he can speak to average Joe, or perhaps even to to put it more to the point, he speaks average Joe. He speaks like a guy just who's speaking to a bunch of other guys and gals, and that obviously resonated. And there were a lot of reasons for the Trump victory. I mean, one of them, I think, and and I believe that this is what really got a lot of the momentum going. Yeah, there was the immigration side of all this and that he would speak about immigration in a way that was considered before the Trump run to just be beyond the pale. Sure, that's a part of all of this, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But more than that, he was setting the groundwork for, well, I don't have to speak about things in a certain way. I don't have to speak about things in the prescribed way. I can just say stuff that people think and that they want to talk about because it matters to them. That this would have appeal, that this would resonate with tens of millions of Americans should not be bizarre, and it also shouldn't be a constant invitation for denigration at the hands of those who have no idea what the struggle is really like. The the economics, by the way, of Trump voters or the I should say the financials of Trump voters, their socioeconomic status is something that always gets glossed over. It was people who work. It's not it wasn't actually poor, illiterate, you know, white people from the Ozarks or whatever. This is what the media's trying to convince everybody. It was just people who have jobs who are making a lot of money, but aren't making no money. I'm actually doing pretty well, but they're working really hard and they're sick of all the crap and what is the crap well the crap is being told how they can speak about things not just when it comes to sort of the media and the how they can speak about things politically how they can speak about things in the workplace what they could even say at home without perhaps their own children correcting them they're sick of it they don't want that anymore they want something else and then in a moment of just supreme virtue signaling from one of the high priestesses of hollywood probably the high priestess i mean i could never say the pope because oh gosh roman catholic that would that would terrify the hollywood set Uh, but certainly she is given a a degree of deference that is afforded i mean it's maybe it's meryl streep steven spielberg uh, there's a handful that are just in that other echelon category of the most arrogant in hollywood battle before them and Meryl Streep is this revered figure in Hollywood. And I'm not going to play the audio. We had it, and I appreciate our team getting those clips. But as I realized, these award shows are very litigious. And so if you use their stuff and you keep it on your, for example, on this show, on the podcast, you may get sued just because. Because they're litigious like that. Uh, By the way, in case you didn't know this, the David Letterman show, fantastically litigious. Love to sue people. For any use of, of Letterman content or whatever. I had a real reputation for that. Um, my understanding is Bob Marley's estate, fantastically litigious, loves to sue people. That's what I've been told. If you use their music uh, for anything and anything, right, That's they, they have that reputation. I, I don't know. I've never been sued by them, but this is what I've been told. So we don't want to use the actual audio just because why invite a problem? Wouldn't it be annoying if I'm talking about the elites and, Mer- and Meryl Streep and how they're trying to silence us and then they can actually sue us? So we're going to avoid that. But I'll read you some of the transcript from what she said uh, because it really is a window into when we talk about the elites and Hollywood and the Democrats and just the lockstep. And don't don't actors get tired of the group thing? I guess a lot of them are intellectually really insecure and so the comfort the false comfort of consensus is something they run to all the time but you maybe think that some of them would and I know you're gonna say what about James Woods buck I mean there's there's sure there are some who are not just conservative or break from ranks on this but are outspoken about it but it's very very few and I think those who are trying to have a career or trying to build more of a career are even less likely to speak about this stuff in the open and honestly, I think they're the ones who are in the feel the most pressure. And so, when the high priestess of Hollywood, Meryl Streep, is up there and saying things like this, it's going to have an an impact that filters down, and everyone's getting their marching orders. Which is remember, it's not just that Trump is bad; it's that everyone who voted for Trump is bad too. I voted for Trump, so that means I'm bad. So these people are saying that I must have some and any of you who voted for him as well uh, must have some racist uh, bigoted hole in your heart here's what she said there was one performance this year that stunned me it sank its hooks in my heart not because it was good there was nothing good about it but it was effective and it did its job it made its intended audience laugh and show their teeth it was that moment when the person asking to sit in the most respected seat in our country imitated a disabled reporter Someone he outranked in privilege, power and the capacity to fight back. It kind of broke my heart when I saw it. I still can't get it out of my head because it wasn't in a movie. It was in real life. So she was talking here about Trump uh, mocking. And look, I disagree with some of my conservative, uh, conservative compatriots on this one. Because I've seen, if you watch the entire speech, in the same speech, He's talking about a general, and he does this sort of, uh, you know, with his hands. And I know New York mannerisms and gestures, and he does it about a general who's a general who's perfectly able-bodied and fine and all that. And it wasn't, it's just about a, a, a performance that Trump is giving to show somebody who's flustered and discombobulated because they're on the spot and they don't know what to say and and he's done, he does it a number of times. I've seen a compilation video actually, which maybe I can find one and post a few online. But he's done this about a whole bunch of people, where he sort of waves his hand and goes, oh, "I don't know." And then he did it when he was talking about Serge Kovalevsky, who has arthrogriposis, which limits his arm movement, and it's visible that he has joint problems in his in his arms. Um, this I, and people say, "Well, he said, look at him." Look at him, and then he did the impersonation. I do not believe that Trump was saying "look at him" in the sense of "yeah, look at that guy, look at that disabled guy." I'm going to now make fun of him. He meant "look at him" as a as a manner of speaking. And I know some of you could disagree with me on this. And by the way, apparently a lot of you were actually right that he said "big league" and not "bigly." So, mea culpa on that one. I'm not saying that I'm always right all the time. I thought on this one it looked pretty bad at first until I understood that. I, I, I Trump he's talking about a fifteen year old article that this guy wrote, this guy he hasn't seen in uh, in a long time as as I understand it at least he he did meet him in person um, in the past, but so he does the impersonation of a general then he does the impersonation of Kowaleski or not an impersonation but this gesture and everyone said that he's mocking a disabled reporter, I, this this is now the one that they really hang on to. Because clearly this is the one that they believe is the most damaging. It not only makes Trump look like a huge jerk, but anybody who supports him and is willing to overlook this is also a huge jerk. And, you know, the speech went on at some at some length. Uh, I'll I'll get into a little more of it when we get when we get through it. If you've watched it, I'm curious to know what you think. 888-900-3393 on the lines. Uh, Team, we'll be back in just a minute.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show.
2: On the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton.
1: The Blaze Radio Network. Team, you all know my passion for living a healthy lifestyle. I keep gluten out of the diet, I try to eat clean all the time. Super Beets is one of the most functional, impressive foods I've ever seen. Why? Blood flow, blood flow, blood flow. Nitric oxide helps with healthy circulation and healthy blood pressure levels, and beets are loaded with nitric oxide, or rather with dietary nitrates, which converts the nitric oxide in the body. Uh, I take Super Beats every day, and I feel the energy and stamina it gives me within 20 minutes. I want you to feel it, too. So call 800-311-4367 or go to teambuckbeats.com. Get a 30-day supply free. comes to your first order. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Also receive a free book, Beat the Odds, and free shipping on your entire order. You'll love the results you feel with your first free canister guaranteed or your money back. 800-311-4367 or teambuckbeats.com. 800-311-4367 or teambuckbeats.com. Jim in Minnesota, what is up? Do do we have Jim? Hey, how you doing, Buck? Hey, Jim in Minnesota. I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. We're finally back up into the double digits
0: again above zero, so I'm happy about that.
1: (laughs) There you go. Thanks thanks for the update from Jim's World. What's on your mind in the news?
0: Hey, yeah, I was wondering as far as uh, what really kind of floored me was, you know, how that really didn't set any alarms off as far as this guy is only traveling with a gun. You know, he doesn't have any uh, as far as, you know, he didn't bring any, you know, carry-ons or nothing. He just basically traveling with the gun. Of course, it wasn't, wasn't you know, with him. It was down the cargo hold. But uh, still, it's just like, you know, you think that it would set off some alarms.
1: Yeah, but what are they? Okay, let's say that it's. At, what's the alarm? I mean, he legally checked his legally owned gun into the. You know what I'm saying? What are they going to do? Say, I, I yeah, guess they I mean, could a question I, I guess they could ask him some questions and hope that he trips up. But uh, uh, again, yeah. this is one of these cases where you see it and you say, "All right, I." There might be some tweaks that they could make to some laws to hope to stop somebody like this, but very tough, uh, very tough to get it right. And remember, we're looking for batting a thousand we're looking for a hundred percent effectiveness in preventing all this stuff and that is asking a lot
0: i know what but what i'm saying
2: as far as is that uh, you know him traveling without any luggage other than the gun i mean that you would think that would be uh, set off some alarms
1: you know as far as I, I uh, under, as I understand but even if it sets off some alarms yeah. Jim, what i'm saying is what what are the, what alarm does it set off the you can't okay. not travel you know you, you need more baggage i mean what what's the what do they do they're going to say you can't fly okay maybe Um, But this guy, you know, it's interesting to me that that he did this, right? He he went into Fort Lauderdale Airport. Uh, I haven't seen yet any real explanation, although it might be out there. There's a lot of information coming in as to why he would choose that specific airport, because he had a gun. He could have gone into any crowded place, including the airport in Alaska, and achieved much the same effect. So it just seems like he's kind of a quirky psycho.
0: Yeah, no. I'm, I, what I'm saying is, you think this in the future that uh, that will set off more alarms that they're you know traveling with just a gun and no you know carry on no luggage.
1: Yes, but uh, if, if they change the law, let's say so that you that that will flag people, that will get out there, we mm-hmm. will know about it. And now all you have, okay, if you want to repeat what this guy did, you just make sure that you check a bag, right? This is yeah. Oh yeah. There's right. always there's this right. there's this understandable desire to have something. To do. And of course, Democrats always try to take this as the opportunity to make it about gun control. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Right. Of course. But what are what are you really going to do when you have somebody who wants to kill a bunch of innocent people for no reason? If if they are willing to do that and and trade their life in the process, uh, by the way, it's very hard to deter them. It really is in a free society. This is just and even in a not free. I mean, this could happen in a, you know, maybe not getting the gun, but. We've seen this uh, in are countries all over the world that have suffered from lunatics that want to engage in a mass casualty attack against civilians. And we see this now with trucks. What are you going to ban people from vehicles? Uh, so this yeah, is a very I, I think this is why this is so unsettling for a lot of for a lot of people is one. I mean, it's just tragic and, and horrible. That people are killed at the airport for just mm-hmm. no reason other than this guy's a complete lunatic and a psychopath. There's also just not much to say or to to do about it. There really isn't. I'm seeing them. people say, oh, maybe we increase security so that you have to stop and get searched before you enter the terminal. Well, then he's just going to shoot people in line getting into the terminal, right? It doesn't that doesn't really address anything. So I, I wish I wish that this is one of these times where you could say, oh, clearly there needs to be this action or that action that could have prevented it. But, Jim, I don't see that. I don't see that being the case. Um, and if, if I'm missing something, please let me know or anyone call in and tell me what you, what you think should be done here. But for me, it's, well, there are bad people want to do bad things. Very hard to completely stop them. Thanks for calling in, Jim from Minnesota. Good to talk to you, as always, Shields High. Um, maybe we'll talk a little more about the uh, latest with this. Uh, I shouldn't say the latest, but the Golden Globes from last night, what happened there. Uh, we could have a discussion On that one, uh, anything else that you have in mind as well, 888-900-3393. We should definitely chat about anything in the news cycle that uh, has gotten your attention. And we've also got a guest or two joining us here shortly. So, team, we've got a lot planned today. Um, Also, I will be uh, appearing on Fox Business uh, later today, so keep an eye out for me there. And that's what I've got for you until we come back on the other side of the break. Stay with me
0: the buck sexton show on the blaze radio network
1: this half hour is silencershop.com look silencershop offers simply the best buying experience you can get in the industry period they have a friendly and knowledgeable staff and they're always available to help or answer answer questions customers can trust silencershop to handle the process quickly and correctly since they submit more forms than anybody else in the country by a huge margin when it comes to doing the paperwork right for your silencer you can trust silencershop.com they submitted more than sixty thousand forms to the atf in 2015. Silent Shop offers the best prices along with the best service. And when you purchase a silencer from com, you simply pick it up at a local dealer with no transfer fees and no shipping. So check it out, com. Again, com. Help make the world a quieter place. And now let's make the Freedom Hut a cooler place. We're joined by our hip friend, Matt Welch. He is a libertarian. He is the editor-at-large of Reason Magazine and, of course, writes for Reason.com. What's up, Matt? Let us borrow some of your cool for a minute. I said let us borrow your cool for a minute, but now yeah. I sound – I had to repeat it, so I sound less cool, which makes me sad on the inside. All right, Golden Globes last night. What's the libertarian libertarian hot take, please?
0: Uh, first of all, that it just uh, – they only allowed the, uh, the dead people segment to cover two actors. That's really disappointing in a year that we had such uh, rich amounts of death. Um, I always – I I, I get ready to have my cry on. I'm I'm sitting there with my wine, and I want to weep uh, bitterly at the passing of David Bowie or Prince or whatnot. And They just gave us Debbie Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher. But topic du jour is Meryl Streep, and my God – Let's just imagine for a second that you wake up in the morning thinking, I've got to stop the creeping authoritarianism of Donald Trump, because I kind of do wake up like that sometimes, right? So let's imagine that's what you want to do, and you think about, what can I do strategically to help this out? What, what, What am I scared of? And how can I stop it? So what you're scared of is that a rising tide of populist nationalism in which people lash out at perceived elites is going to wave, usher in some kind of proto-fascism. All right, let's, let's worry about that together. What do you do? Let's insult people for watching football and mixed martial arts. I mean, it can't possibly be less persuasive or less useful as a critique of Donald Trump. Right. If, if, in fact, your goal here is to do something about the thing that you're expressing uh, and signaling your dis, uh, distaste for.
1: Everyone that thought that that was a, a witty quip when she said that if you take if you deport all the foreigners or whatever, or, you know, get rid of all the foreigners and the outsiders. I love that these people refer to themselves as outsiders. Like oh, yeah. I, I want to be a, if being an outsider means you get a a a million mansion in Beverly Hills. I'll be an outsider all day, man. Sign me up. I want that beach house in Malibu as an outsider. But she says this, everybody who thought that was a witty quip already agrees and thinks Trump is a monster. So it really isn't about giving a speech that has any effect, I think, or or, or is actually trying to achieve its ostensible goal, which is to convince people to sort of keep an eye on Trump. Everybody who says or who's clapping when she says things like that they're already they're already ready for the Trump apocalypse.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean it's not only is, is she kind of I mean weirdly locating uh, the people inside the Beverly Hilton as the like the first and primary targets, uh, you know, the vulnerable people that we need to protect, which is just uh, completely bizarre. But the types of people that she's talking about, some of those actors and screenwriters who have these uh, colorful, multi faceted uh, backgrounds, several countries, those are the type of people Donald Trump marries does anyone notice this i mean he married a czech skier he married a slovenian model he knows people on those types of visas he marries them um so okay, yeah, i think that, it's
1: i think it's time we we come to grips with some justifiable xenophobia here when it comes to british actors playing what should clearly be american roles i'm sorry i've had enough of it it's ridiculous you know uh What's that movie, uh, uh, Black Hawk Down was on TV a, couple, a week or two ago, and I was watching some of it because it's, it's a good movie. But I realized, I'm watching this. This is about American Rangers and American Delta Force, and all these guys are Brits. It's unacceptable.
0: I, I I get that, but I would submit two counter arguments, both of them very involved with the military. First is Princess Leah, played by the late Curry Fisher, had a British accent for the first twenty minutes of Star Wars, and then just dropped it. it oh, so you it got sense.
1: rid of it really? I got to go check that out. I love
0: no, it. it it's amazing. it's like, Lord Vader. I, I should have known this was you. you know It's like what? And then she's an American by like Act two uh, and then the other one is the a terrific HBO series. Um, that I uh, commend to everyone uh, about ten years ago, called Generation Kill, based on the book by Evan Wright, which is also very good. That um, sort of talks about the uh, the tedium of life as a uh, reconnaissance Marines unit. There, the lead in that who was awesome is Dutch playing an American, and he was great. I can't I can't fault that uh, portrayal even for a half a second. So. I get what you're saying, but there's a lot of bad stuff the other way. Especially, my, my wife being French, I'm uh, sensitive to this. We used to live in, in Hollywood, near the corner of Hollywood and Sunset. That's how uh, elite I am. Damn it. Although it was in kind of a meth shack. But, um,. Uh, uh, oftentimes, French actors living in Hollywood can't get roles as French people because their accent isn't comically pepe le Pew enough. So they get the worst, like Americans or Brits say, oh, "But what are you talking about today?" And they're really pissed off because uh, they're keeping the uh, the French people out of work. So right. So the maybe, right.
1: maybe there's maybe there's hope for me then. Pretending to be a Frenchman because my French accent is so pepe le Pew and terrible that no French person would ever recognize it as even being French. But nonetheless. I digress. Uh, what do you think of the of, of the Trump response to the IC report, uh, saying that basically, yeah, Russia did hack, and P.S., Trump, they like you?
0: Uh, you know, he seems really invested in making sure that uh, no one can – in. but first of all, the report itself is terrible. Uh, I, I, I say that as someone you know, but maybe your listeners don't. I mean, I'm as big of a Putin hater – uh, and lifelong, you know, anti-Ruski as you can.
1: You find hated out Putin there. before Putin hating was cool. It's true. Uh,
0: thank you. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, I lived in former communist uh, places for uh, eight years of my life, and it's seared into my thinking. He's a a devilish man. But that report was like thirteen pages on Russia Today with a lot of out-of-date information about it, at least the, the part that the public got to see. And I understand that sources and methods are kind of difficult and, and all that stuff, but wow, is that unconvincing. So as that is uh, as one kind of important baseline, um, it's clear that Trump uh, will not uh, accept any interpretation of what happened in a way that would call uh, into question anything about his stirring historic victory, <laughs> his landslide, as he keeps referring to it. Uh, so, and he's going to, even, even and especially in the teeth of all of this stuff, he keeps tweeting out praise for Putin and, and praise for, uh, you know, the upcoming uh, wonderfulness of uh, bilateral relations. Um, he's going to smash our faces into his new version of this relationship, and it's just odd because regardless of whether you think, there's a, some new path available to bilateral relations. And that's, a, that's something that uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton deluded themselves into thinking right after they got elected that George W. Bush could look into his eyes and, and do business with Vladimir Putin. People have been there before. I uh, strobe Talbot back during Clinton was like that. I mean, it's, it's a recurrent thing in American policy. Regardless of whether you think that's true, even after all of these demonstrations to the contrary, Vladimir Putin is an expansionist, irredentist person whose politics is all based on recapturing the lost glory um, uh... the 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 wound that's been that's been lopped off by the demise of the soviet union so don't praise him just don't he's not praiseworthy he's an active menace uh... to all countries that border him uh... and he's an active menace also in places where the soviet union used to control in central europe places like hungary uh... so it's just he's not praiseworthy and it's and it's distressing um, that uh, a president-elect of the United States of freaking America uh, is praising someone. If you're going to shift American foreign policy to realism, and I'm good with that, and there's a lot of people involved in his uh, transition team and perspective State Department and whatnot that are like that. Katie McFarland, she's a realist. I get it. You can't base realism on fantasy. That's the problem. And it's fantasy to treat Putin as a friend and someone who has any good shared interest with us. That's just not so.
1: Speaking of fantasy, real quick, like 15 seconds quick, should I go see La La Land with my girlfriend now, or should I say, Nah, not for me, honey?
0: I go see it just because I'm a California patriot. I haven't seen it yet. That song didn't seem so good to me, so I'm a little bit worried, but it looks really pretty.
1: Where should everyone go to read the latest Matt Welch genius stuff?
0: Go at Matt Welch on Twitter or Reason.com every day.
1: Reason.com, everybody, check it out. Our libertarian buddy, Matt Welch, holding it down for liberty. One day we'll have you on to talk about the difference between Liberty and Libertine, but that'll be another time. Matt Welch, you're the man, sir. Thank you for joining. Great to have you as always. What? I heard a bet, so I think we're good. All right, cool. Uh, team, I've got a lot more. Uh, 888-900-3393 on those phones. I've got some things to discuss with you. You're going to find out what it is in just a few minutes. Be right back. Rex Sexton
2: on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton.
1: On the Blaze Radio Network. Well, team, I I saw this over the weekend, the rumors that are out there about uh, the possibility that we may not, in fact, be done with uh, Hillary Clinton as a political figure. And this would affect me much more than it would any of you. The chance that she was going to run for mayor in new york city he, i just what i thought i could escape clintonism clintonianism just when i thought it was all over um they bring back these stories these possible stories uh or these these possible pathways for hillary to become a public figure once again being mayor of New York, because it's the largest city in the country with eight million plus people, is unlike being mayor of any other place, really. It is, in a sense, a, a national level job, even though it's a municipal position. You know, it gets a lot of attention. It's the, still the home of uh, the financial industry in this country and obviously our biggest city. And there's a lot that comes along with it. The United Nations is here. the sort of international role. <laughs> but I have to tell you, there's even a part of me that says, and this is, I probably shouldn't even admit this to you, de Blasio is so bad, Kaiser Wilhelm de Blasio, because his name was Warren Wilhelm, yeah, and, the, and then he changed his name, he went from the Warren Wilhelm to the Billy de Blasio, because it's like, oh, hey, who do you want to have the beer with, the Warren Wilhelm or, or hey Billy de Blasio, so he decided to change his name in like, his 20s, it's very strange decision. Uh, But, yeah, he he was Warren Wilhelm and then decided that he was going to be Bill de Blasio, hey, from down the street, hey, who wants to hang out with Bill? Been a horrible mayor, much more concerned with getting social justice memes going, much more concerned with pushing uh, any number of sort of national level memes while he's he's sort of the meme mayor. Right. he sees something, you know, like, oh, Black Lives Matter or you know, any of these things that come up. Uh, I was going to say Occupy Wall Street, but that was before his time. Uh, and all of a sudden he's sort of hashtagging and engage in some stunt or will give some soundbite to get national level attention. I mean, you can tell this is a guy who really wants to be a figure in D.C. And I think believes that he should be somebody that the Democrats think of for president. But he's done a terrible job here in New York City. I know a lot of you don't care; if you don't live here. But it's just the homelessness problem on the streets is worse than it's been in a decade. Uh, the crime has been going up, although I know they've been playing with the numbers. But there's any there's uh, un, there are plenty of people that I talk to who say that the official stats are being messed with because uh, they want to hide that. Because that's the always the first place you go with is a mayor getting the job done or not. Right? It's can can you look at the, at the crime statistics and make a case that this is not somebody who's particularly competent one way or the other? Um, and he's just been terrible. And he, he's on the wrong side of the police. He's always throwing them under the bus. Um, the, the city is not as well run as it used to be. You just know from living here. And so there's a part of me that had to admit that while I want Hillary Clinton and the Clinton dynasty to just go away, as I hear now, Mariah Carey's doing for a while. She's stepping away from the spotlight after the New Year's Eve debacle. You know, maybe that's a good thing. I, I think that when you've made half a billion or are worth half a billion dollars, as Mariah Carey reportedly is, and are famous around the world and have had a huge career, it's okay to to take some some u time. And you don't have to be a uh, a sex symbol for all eternity. And anyway, so, so we'll put put a hold on that for a second. Now let's get back to Hillary Clinton. I'm not trying to. Compare the two by any means. Uh, but Hillary was going to go away and be something other than what she had planned to be, which is the next president of the United States, and then groom, I think, Chelsea for becoming a senator. And the same, you know, we were going to get the same thing. I- I'm happy to see that political dynasties, there's at least been an interruption in them right now, although maybe the trumps are going to be a dynasty, and who knows who's going to run from the Obama family and all the rest of it. Uh, but de Blasio is so bad that there's a part of him that's like, maybe Hillary would be better. But then I immediately shouted at myself for thinking that because, Buck, you can't you can't be that guy who now is saying, well, I mean, Hillary's better than Comrade de Blasio, who I think honeymooned with like the in support of the Sandinistas or something, or was that Bernie Sanders? I think he went to either Nicaragua or Cuba in his spare time just to sort of show solidarity with a communist regime. So when I call him Commie de Blasio, it's really not that far off the mark. Uh, But the city taxes are incredibly high. City services are going downhill. This guy's so bad that for a moment, I was even willing to consider maybe Hillary would be better than de Blasio for New York City. And then I thought, no, you can't do it, Buck. Hillary's got to just step out of it. She's got to step off the stage for good as a politician. And you're just going to have to suck it up and deal with de Blasio. All right, team, uh... Tomorrow I'll be here. Uh, every day this week, I'll be here in the Freedom Hut 12 Eastern, as always. Uh, please check out my latest on slash Buck Sexton and send me your thoughts on the show there. The and until Sexton tomorrow, show. my friends, as always, always.
0: On the Shield Blaze time. Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation this is three, two, one. the buck sexton show
1: team buck welcome to our three today in the freedom Hut. fantastic to have you with me as always thank you so much for uh, making the time in your busy schedule to hang out in the hut it's come my eye over the weekend I know we've talked a lot about the uh, fallout um, the the issues that the Trump campaign now faces in the aftermath of the IC's report on Friday Uh, we are all quite aware of the fact that uh, Trump is at least somewhat willing to concede now that maybe Russia did something somewhere okay fine but it's also important to remind ourselves what not just Trump but the, the entire Republican Party is up against You have, on the one hand, people who claim to be uh, erudite, they're even pedantic about it. They they are constantly throwing in the faces of the other side, their credentials, their background, how they're so incredibly uh, fact-based, science-based, and brilliant. And they think terrible thoughts about the other side based upon magic, mysticism, voodoo, nonsense, And therefore, whatever policies they're promoting are not just a function of being right in the sense of what is more accurate, but also right in the sense of what is moral, right? The left pushes things and believes that it has a moral mandate for things uh, based upon not science and rationality and facts and logic, but its own version of a sort of mysticism or different versions of mysticism uh, in some cases— it's just a worship of the collective, right, the collectivist mindset. But more specifically, we see with climate change, uh, the continued effort, because they, they sense weakness now, right? The sharks have smelled some blood in the water. They feel like the Trump administration has been undermined from the start. The Trump administration has, ha- has already been discredited with a lot of so-called rational, thoughtful, reasonable people as a result of the IC intelligence community report, which we've discussed on Russia, right? There is this sense out there that, okay, now they've already breached the wall of the Trump administration and they can pile on. And one of the areas where you're going to see this very uh, aggressive attempt is with climate change. And remember climate change for the left is an area where there is nothing if you take their logic to its ends, there is nothing that is off the table. Or I shouldn't say their logic. If you take their argument to its logical end, there can be nothing that's off the table. A piece over the weekend, a couple of things came together for me on this that I, I just, I shouldn't read these things over the weekend, but I, I do. I find myself flipping through Twitter, hanging out with my bros, literally my brothers, uh, at, at lunch, If you want to see photos of these things, by the way, you can follow me on Instagram. I I post things there. Just type in Buck Sexton into Instagram. It's a cool app. You can also do the same thing. uh, If you're not already following me on Facebook, please do. I try to post them there as well. I don't post as many photos on Twitter just because, I don't know, I feel like who wants to see photos on Twitter. But anyway, uh, there was this piece written by uh, Nicholas Kristoff. Uh, always goes on CNN and uh, sounds uh, sort of like he, he he's concerned that uh, he, he may have left the gas on in his apartment and he has to run back and check. I By the way, if you've never heard Nicholas Kristof, I will tell you that my impersonation is pretty close. Go and Google him for a second. Well, it's very important we understand the Trump administration. <laughs> uh, he's also somebody who I particularly get annoyed by because the <laughs> I was part of the... Uh, the clown car of guests that they would uh, <laughs> roll out sometimes on the Don Lemon show on CNN. CNN, where those of you who have asked me, by the way, I am no longer a contributor to CNN, which means I'm no longer on contract at CNN, uh, which is why I'm able to go do Fox. I can go do any cable network now. Um, and that also means that I can speak more freely about things because when you're not an employee and you're not drawing a paycheck, I think you feel a greater freedom to speak your mind obviously it's also why I think they're having me on less and less than they even did before because now they got to deal with buck slaps now it's real and, and I know you'd say buck why well, wasn't it real before you know you're when you're trying to build a TV career and you're trying to uh, gain access to the sorts of platforms where your, where your work your research your uh, opinions beliefs arguments all of that can have greater impact, right? This is unfortunately the dilemma that a lot of well-intentioned people in media face. If you want access to those things, you got to play the game a little bit, right? If you just go scorched earth, I know some of you are like, "Why don't you just go scorched earth on these things?" I can t- I can name people for you who go scorched earth, and some of them have actually pretty robust followings in conservative circles. They will never have an impact on the national conversation, ever, ever, ever. Um, at least that's my. Estimation, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll see in a few years. But I think you can also point to people who have already essentially had their careers and they've been all out and they have not been able to break through in that way that can really influence the national conversation. You know, everybody, everybody's got to stay within certain boundaries. I wish we lived in a, in a country. I wish we lived in a society where you could really just let it rip without fear of what it would do to your career your ability to provide for yourself and your family we're not there um but i digress pretty wi- widely there but so Christoph is somebody they bring out and they always treat at cnn they treat new york times columnists with a with a complete reverence you know there's like oh please shed your wisdom on all things for us oh cnn column i mean sorry it's, uh new york times columnist is this is a New York Times columnists are, are the high priests and priestesses of liberalism, progressivism in this country, right? They are people that are revered in leftist circles, um, and they—I mean, they can get away with saying crazy stuff. Here is a perfect example of just that. And, and Christoph, I always, I always feel like, yeah, the New York Times lets him travel around the world, and he— you know, he, he gets to fly around and interview people in places and then he gets to come up with very, uh, as I see it, uh, facile conclusions about what's going wrong around the world. And in some cases, just conclusions for which there is no evidence. And this article of the weekend that ties in the Trump administration and some of the attacks you can expect on it, I think is a, is a particularly strong example of... The left and the left is as crazy and the left as willing to not just try to beat the other side in argument but to dehumanize the other side by appealing to our common humanity the articles title is as Donald Trump denies climate change these kids die of it as Donald Trump denies climate change these kids die of it essentially Trump is a denier, and I say this because I always want to make sure we're clear, as in a Holocaust denier, right? A morally reprehensible, disgraceful, and disgusting person because he doesn't believe in climate change. Isn't it always interesting, by the way, that we've accepted somehow in our speech patterns about at least that it's belief, right? Uh, That you're denying a belief. It is a religious belief, really. It is a it's an existential argument for humanity in the sense that we are here to be stewards of the planet and that this sort of green focus is a reason for existence it's a raison d'être it's a uh, justifying it justifies our purpose here on the planet to take care of the planet i think the planet's here for us to live on and hopefully to, you know, enjoy as much as we can. Um, other people and the progressive love believes the planet is the end in and of itself, right? That we are here to sort of be the caretakers of the planet as the meaning of, of course, look, no one wants dirty water and nobody wants to live next to a toxic waste dump. and You'll notice that th- that's never where the argument is. You don't, have a, you don't have a conservative constituency out there. The, the right wing is not saying, you know what? Let's get a lot of lead in the water because we don't. We, the science isn't settled on that. Let's have, a, let's have an abundance of mercury in our food because the science isn't settled on that. There are plenty of places where we just all have agreement. Right? Let's not take antibiotics when we have an aggressive, serious infection because the science is not settled on that. You see where I'm going. But on climate change, we deny it and kids die. It used to be Bush lied, babies died in Iraq. That was the rallying cry of the progressive left during the Bush administration. During the Trump administration, one of the rallying cries we may see is uh, Trump denied it, so these kids died of it. Which is really just a paraphrase of this article prominently featured in the New York Times, which is, I believe, the most widely read, at least digital news uh, uh, in terms of its digital subscriptions in the world. And... They're making this argument in the open now that because of people like Donald Trump, kids are dying. Right there, there There's a causative effect. It's not just uh, sort of circumstantial and everything. And let me get into some of the um, let me let me read you from this piece. Of course, he he's showing photos and doing interviews with people in parts of Africa, southern Africa, not South Africa, but southern Africa. So. Madagascar is where he starts out, and then they expand uh, into Malawi, Mozambique, Swaziland, Zambia, Zimbabwe. So the sort of southern portion of Africa has been suffering from a drought. Uh, It should be noted that, of course, droughts in Africa and even famine in Africa are not a new thing in recent years, not a new thing in the 20th century, not a new thing in human history. Some of you would be like, yeah, the Bible. I, I seem to remember that drought and pestilence, these are concerns that people have had for a really long time, before they were putting much of any CO2 into the air. But as Christoph sees it, and he writes this piece, and people who are otherwise at least well-intentioned and think of themselves as well-informed, uh, they will read this and they'll take its argument to heart, and this is why we can never have an adult conversation about the reality of climate change, uh, what's possible, what's feasible to do about it, and what is not, how serious a threat it really is. Here's how he he writes this. Um, She is just a frightened mom worrying if her son will survive and certainly not fretting about American politics. Um, Yet we Americans may be inadvertently killing her infant son. Climate change disproportionately caused by carbon emissions from America seems to be behind a severe drought that has led crops to wilt across seven countries in southern Africa The result is acute malnutrition for 1.3 million children in the region, the United Nations says. So this is a incredibly circuitous argument, a very roundabout pathway, but one that he asserts in the title. and, And this is the entire underlying premise of the piece that America is responsible for any famine anywhere in the world. America is responsible for bad weather anywhere, anytime in the world. Any natural disaster, more or less, with perhaps the exception of earthquakes, but I'm sure we could be blamed for that too. Nuclear testing is the result of American action. And those who disagree with that premise, i.e. those who deny climate change, don't care about starving children in Africa, children starving to death. That is how callous they are, how evil they are, how inconsiderate they are, how vile they are. How can you take somebody seriously when that's what you think of them? How can you even have a discussion? You see, if you or I don't believe that the, the drought in Africa is America's fault and aren't willing to take drastic steps to change it somehow... Nicholas Kristof, the New York Times and the progressive left wants you to know you don't care about children slowly starving to death. Probably because you're racist. That's the argument they make. And that's what they're saying about the Trump administration, by the way. I'm making this about all of us, but we'll get into this more in a second. Uh, Team 888-900-3393 on the phones. Buck will be back right after this break.
2: Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Buck Sexton, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Welcome back, Team Buck. Thanks for uh, joining me here on this uh, Monday, third hour of the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you, as always. I just want to continue with this thread for a little bit because this this article really annoyed me, and it just is a window into the mindset. So this is this New York Times piece where you have Nicholas Kristev, because I'm so special and brilliant, and uh, writing, as Donald Trump denies climate change, these kids die of it so trump is a denier doesn't care about climate change and oh by the way if you don't care about climate change you're a disgusting human being you're terrible you don't care about kids dying you're a bad person right this is what they want you to take away from this Uh, and he he goes he, he goes to the extent of making this really about trump think about the intellectual dishonesty and the gymnastics involved here Right, Donald Trump is indifferent, because Donald Trump questions a major policy issue that tens of millions of Americans, I would probably say hundreds of millions of Americans, at least 150 million of us or so, question and want to have really robust debates and discussions about because of what's at stake. Because of all of that, Donald Trump doesn't care about tiny babies with their ribs almost protruding through their skin in Africa while their parents watch as they die. I mean, the most horrific stuff imaginable. It's not possible to engage in a sort of greater degree of moral blackmail than this, right? If you don't agree with me on climate change, you don't care about starving babies in Africa, and you're not willing to stop because you're—and not only that— not stop doing what you're doing, which is responsible for it, you know? If you don't drive a Prius, and you don't believe in uh, a carbon tax, and you don't believe in green energy programs, and it, you don't care about starving children in Africa, and their protruding ribs, and their eyes losing the basic sense of life that we all have, right? I mean, slowly fading away. You don't care about any of that, because you're a bad person. You don't care about the slow dehydration, the malnutrition. Uh, this is the worst kind of emotional and intellectual blackmail I think a person could really think of. And this is a celebrated, I'm sure he's award-winning columnist, an absolute coward, by the way, never puts himself in a, in a position to really debate anybody on this stuff. You know, goes into the safe space of CNN and these other places and just gets to have the anchor, oh, you're you're a Times columnist, you're so brilliant. Please, please. Preposterous. Um, this whole I mean if the piece was about the drought in Africa, I would say all right this is a human inter- this is a, a really a human devastation piece, but we all have an interest in alleviating human suffering around the world by the way as you know does't ever really get mentioned but the Bush administration did more for the suffering um, inhabitants suffering residents of Africa than any administration in memory um, by dealing with the HIV crisis there, which is not really a U.S. Foreign policy objective, other than that, it's a human being humanitarian objective. And the Bush administration saved millions and millions of lives there. Ne- never taught, you know, that never gets sort of put up on the scoreboard. Not that we should be thinking of it as a scoreboard, but you know what I mean. That never gets added to the Bush administration legacy by the left. You no, know, he's such a bad guy. You you got to read this piece, I and mean, we'll we'll put it up on Facebook. Uh, it does talk about how USAID is trying to do things to help, um, but that children dying in Africa is. Something that is somehow tied to Donald Trump and climate change denial—it well, these people also think that the Syrian civil war was caused by climate change. But they're completely insane. And if you think that I'm over, uh, I'm exaggerating. With they're insane. There's this guy who's a meteorologist, and sort of a, a meteorologist named Eric Holthaus and something of a known commodity in climate change circles. He said, wh- "Where was it?" It, it, this this is really hard to believe. I, I I'm starting my eleventh year working on climate change, including the last four in daily journalism. Today I went to see a counselor about it. And then he also tweets we don't deserve this planet. There are many days when I think it would be better off without us. I I, I mean, what w- what is this guy going? This 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 climate change so-called expert meteorologist has to go see a therapist because he's so upset about climate change he tweets out I'm saying this because I know many people feel deep despair about climate especially post-election I struggle every day you are not alone look we all struggle right we've all got our stuff maybe one day we'll just talk about all of the difficult dark things that we have to handle each of us collectively here on the freedom we could we could talk about that for hours and hours climate change is not one of them and it really demeans the real struggles that people have in their day-to-day lives the breakups of families you know, chronic illness uh, shortfalls financially, losing homes, can't pay the mortgage. Real problems versus, oh, I can't take climate change. I need to go see a therapist for climate change. That's not a real problem. That's a problem for a therapist because it's insanity, it's delusion. And yet, the left buys it. More coming. This is the Buck Sexton Show, the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Sexton Show. Speak your mind. 888-900-3393.
1: You know, th- this is an area that's very getting very testy, and I see it on Twitter, and I see some conservatives uh, going back at some sort of conservative. I, hate, I don't like the term intellectuals because plenty of people, I know plenty of people that, you know, the, the guy who is the superintendent of my building, and, and I say this in all honesty, is an astute political analyst. He he doesn't use fancy words. He's not a and we talk we talk politics all the time. I see this guy smoking a cigarette and I stop. By the way, everything he said about the Trump administration and or rather the, the Trump campaign was right. And everything that I was reading and everything, you know, the polls, he was one of these guys, the polls were right, he's like, I don't know, the polls are off. There's a movement here. You don't you gotta you gotta understand. People like me are sick of it. We're sick of paying the bills for other people and being told we don't do enough. That we that their jobs we won't do that we're lazy that other people are better and you know, we're sick of it. Everything that he was saying about it was right, <laughs> and, and I saw him on the day after the election results came in, and we were we were having kind of a laugh about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm the I'm the on air political analyst, but you were the guy who had his finger on the pulse of, of the the Trump movement, and and I you know like a lot of people, I just didn't see it coming because I, I try to stay within the the numbers, I try to base things on. Uh, what the what the evidence where the facts point but the facts in this case or, or the facts as they were presented as in the polls were clearly off uh, but now you're seeing this fight that plays out and it, it continues to play out in the media and and you're seeing it more and more I think also with this administration which is where the transition is that I want to I want to make here of people who are uh, there's a difference between those who think they have an expertise and are really just faking it. And, and and those who actually do have an expertise that's valid and different than the society as a whole. There was this New Yorker cartoon. I don't know how many of you saw it, and maybe we should also throw that up on Facebook for you, but it was a few last week, I think. And the New Yorker cartoon was of a... And, of course, the New Yorker is very, Oh, hello. When I'm in my fancy plastic surgeon's office, what do I read? I read the New Yorker because I'm sophisticated. I mean... It gives you that sort of pseudo-British—I uh, I pretend to be a wonk—vibe, right? That the New Yorker is, is aspires to be the New Yorker, Vanity Fair. These are the journals of sophisticated, not just opinion and thought, but of sophisticated people, right? This is—if you're—if you read these things, you're buying into a brand, and you're a part of that brand. Very important. It's also really the basis for much of the Democratic Party's uh, identity. Right. You you, that just voting Democrat means you're good, nice, and cool. Cool is a very important part of that as well. Look at the success of the Obama administration. Right. Obama was the cool president. Look at what happened when they put Hillary up. They tried, they really did, but Hillary is the opposite of cool, and everybody knew it. And anyway, Um, but it was in the New Yorker, and it was someone standing up in a plane saying, These pilots uh, think that they're. Uh, or these pilots think they're better than us or something, you know, they're, they're, they think that they're better than us normal people. Who thinks that I should fly the plane? Or the elitism of these pilots is too much for me. They think they're better than us normal people. Who thinks that I should fly the plane? It was something like that. Of course, the implication being, no, that if you don't know how to fly a plane, it's very, very dangerous. Um, what's interesting to me is that there was a sort of a back and forth about this. It's a thought that's, it's ha- that is happening. That debate is happening now And I think that there are a lot of reasons for it. one of them is that there's a greater transparency into the failures of government because we can now really visualize and hear the audio. We can hear the promises over and over again, broken by our politicians. We can do a Google search and figure out what you know, what charges they may have dodged in federal court and what sort of corruption scandals around them and. I do think we have, for those of us who want it, we have more access to information about the people to whom we entrust power than at any other time in human history. That is a fact. It is much easier to know a lot of stuff about the people running for office now than in the past, and so I think there is an emperor has no clothes effect here um, in that those of uh, unless you are blinded by the sort of tribalism of party allegiance and the identification that you have with a specific political party you see the failures and they're inescapable you see the failures of both parties uh, on display but this is also where i think the revolt against the elites comes from i mean there there is a sort of a a consensus that has been formed in recent decades and i think it's been solidifying it's becoming more concrete uh and it's the academy it's media it's the top echelon of many professions, um, and there's a way that you're supposed to think about things, and that's not the only part of it that I think disturbs people or is bothersome to a lot of Americans, but there's also how do you think about the rest of the country? How do you think about other people? You know, If you're a college-educated 150K-plus earner, what do you think about people who still make a living with their hands and make... 30k or 40k what do you think about them? and one of the things that I think has been an awakening is that the people who are using their hands to make you know making 30 or 40k or whatever it is uh, they're aware of the disdain that the elites have for them at least in the context of working class whites and and others there were there were remember more minorities voted for Trump than voted for Romney at least by the percentages so there's an awareness of the sort of paternalism and the, really a better word than that paternalism comes from the government the condescension of the elites and especially when people start to see that for many of those that hold these condescending beliefs they're actually not geniuses that started fantastic companies and made a lot a lot of them it's inherited wealth a lot of them it's through connections and cronyism a lot of them it's just through dumb luck But the separation and by the way, Charles Murray has written a whole book on this um, about sort of the coming apart of America and how you're seeing the sort of siloing of of people, not just in terms of their professions, uh, but where they live, where they go to school, who they socialize with, who they who they go on dates with, who they marry, who they surround themselves with. And that while we are in a society that constantly is talking about its diversity, there's actually a tremendous amount of. Uh, of sort of internal uh, self-selection going on or selection going on where people are making much more narrow networks of individuals that they interact with on a daily basis. And what brings them together in many cases is sort of a shared belief. Uh, It's more the issue of shared belief than it is anything else. Oh, and of course, money. So you need money and then you have to share certain beliefs and attitudes. Uh, But on top of that, There's the revulsion that people feel when those who are supposed to be the elites know what's better for the let's again go to the let's say 35k a year uh, manual laborer know what's better for him or her than they do. And that has reached a point where I think it's just too annoying and too much to bear. And this is part of what the Trump surge is. And there is some irony here in that. Trump is a trust fund baby, just a fact. Not not, not to say that disparagingly, although it is a disparaging comment, but I mean not to say that to undermine everything else about the good that I think he can do as president and trust fund baby or not. Look, um, Mitt Romney comes from a very comfortable, well-off family. George Bush comes from a very well-off, comfortable family. John Kerry married into very well-off, comfortable families twice. That's really lucky, John Kerry. Apparently, John Kerry only falls in love with women who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Once I'd be like, yeah, maybe they had a connection. Twice it seems a little suspect to me. I'm just saying. Uh, But you look at all of these different presidential aspirants: Jeb Bush, right? These people have come from these political dynasties. Hillary Clinton, although she didn't come from money, but she made the money through illicit means. Uh, All these individuals that, Forget about the Clintons. That's a sort of a different case story. I just wanted to throw that in there because I don't like the Clintons. Um, But all these different political dynasties, and they weren't successful at becoming president in some cases. So, I mean, just having the money is not in in and of itself enough. And and also, I'm starting to care less and less about how people get the jobs they do because the whole notion of objective criteria is something that we're going to perhaps revisit on on another day here on the show. But objective criteria for getting jobs because – it's really all pretty subjective. Yeah, there's resume stuff and there's experience, it's all it's all pretty subjective to a degree. Um, but yeah, Trump is a trust fund baby, but he seemed to understand this sentiment and was smart enough politically to seize on it and to give voice to it and isn't that really what politicians do? Right? I mean, did Bill Clinton really feel America's pain? Did he feel does he feel your pain? Can he just also feel your shoulders and maybe the nape of your neck for a minute and maybe, you know, ugh so you've got Trump uh, out there now pushing and trying to get things done that hopefully will benefits uh, a lot of the people that were supporting him in the sort of Trump. I gotta stop saying sort of. I'm gonna to try to eliminate that. I know. See, I, I listen back to the shows, and whenever I find tick words that I I have, I'm good at eliminating lots of. Uh, 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 this is something that other hosts I hear do, and and I think to myself, oh, that that I find that very annoying and very off-putting. Um. and then of course and um as trump is doing all the stuff though i've got to say there are limits and loyalty has a place in the administration but once you start talking about what's going to happen at the pentagon my sense of it is that you should probably find the people who are experienced and knowledgeable and good at this stuff and you have as the sort of Ah, see, now I've done it, guys. Don't let me get away with it. We're going to clean sort of out of my lexicon. As a means of silencing at least some of his more ardent critics, when it comes to the pulling together of a cabinet, General Mattis has been very, very useful for the Trump administration, right? Because Mattis is the warrior monk, respected career guy, no BS, really knows what he's doing. And now you see some issues with the transition team. They don't want to put people in senior posts at the Pentagon because they want loyalists to the Trump administration. And there are, now the question is whether Mattis is, quote, clashing with Trump transition team over Pentagon staffing. When we're talking DOD, you want the best, most experienced people. You don't necessarily want the people that were on the Trump train the earliest. This is one place where you know, the White House, yeah, you need your your advisors, you got to trust them, they got to be. In the Pentagon, you do need people that have real deep knowledge. Undersecretary of policy, undersecretary for name a specific area. I mean, these are posts that you can't just put somebody who's dare I say a, a sort of a TV sort of, ha. Ah, now nah, it's going to drive me insane team. I'm going to get rid of it though. A TV talking head with no real experience in the area, you can't put them in those posts. So my whole, I know I started out this discussion about expertise and the inflated sense of expertise that the elites have about themselves, and that's very real, but there are limits. There is such a thing as expertise, and there is a place, or there are places where having real expertise should matter. And I think the Pentagon, I'm hoping they figure this stuff out because the Pentagon is a place where you really need those who are the best at the jobs and loyalty to the campaign is is should not be an issue because it's about loyalty to the country and the sort of people that have and that's not a misuse of sort of the kind of people see that one i'll get away with the kind of people that have real experience at that level and could be used by the trump camp or by the trump administration they are patriots you're not getting individuals with 15 years 20 years under their belt at dod who don't who don't like america right so that's not the concern if they like trump or not shouldn't really be as much of an issue and there's a clash i can imagine there's a clash with mattis over this because i see some of the picks they're making and i gotta tell you some of them are good but some of them are suspect some of them are suspect all right team uh we'll close that out on the flip side of the break i'll be right back
2: rock sexton
1: the blaze radio network
0: Buck,
1: Sexton. Oh, uh, Team, we're going to have to sink our teeth into this one a bit more later in the week I don't have too much time to go deep on it now. Uh, but you've heard in recent weeks a lot of talk from the Democrats, or I should say in last week, really, a lot of talk from the Democrats about how there's no plan, right? Once they repeal Obamacare, there's no plan. And they've trotted out the stuff about how they just want to, hashtag make America sick again, you know, Chuck Schumer. And what was it? uh, They want to call it Trump care and really daring Republicans because, oh, you don't have a replacement. Uh, And I have to hat tip our friend over at the Federalist, David Harsanyi. Uh, He wrote a piece that maybe we'll get a chance to talk about tomorrow, but it, it at least brought my attention back onto this issue. And it's important. The GOP does have a plan to replace Obamacare. That's what scares Democrats most, and his subheading is if Republicans fail to repeal Obamacare, it will be due to their incompetence, not a lack of ideas. Uh, this is uh, th- this is what's going to happen now. You're going to be hearing, it, with, with, in the blink of an eye, it, it will go from they can't repeal it because they don't know what they're going to replace it with, to what they're replacing it with is extremist. It's crazy. Well, I thought the objection was they didn't have a way to replace it. So they won't repeal it. Oh, well, now it's what they're going to replace it with is bad. But once you criticizing them a week ago for not having something that you're going to, you know, with this health care stuff. And the Democrats, they just constantly loosey with the football. They're always moving the goalposts. It doesn't matter what they said yesterday and it doesn't matter what they're going to say next week, even when we know what they're going to say next week. So I think we'll have to get a bit more into that because the un, uh, undoing of Obamacare is going to be a process, and Republicans have thought this thing through. Maybe they'll lose their nerve, but they're going to be able to do it if they want to, and Democrats are very upset about it. So they're just going to throw everything they have at this. Uh, team, I will be um, joining you again tomorrow live from the Freedom Hunt. Check out my stuff on Facebook. Until tomorrow, Shield High.
0: The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.